0: This is Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. Can the Constitution save us? Look, there are a lot of pressing threats to our nation's democracy at the moment. I probably don't have to list them for you, but at the time of this episode's release, we're waiting for a verdict on whether a former president can run again, given his alleged role in facilitating an insurrection attempt. It's an unprecedented situation in a world that has changed radically since the constitution was written so are we foolish to look to that 230 year old document for answers
1: the idea that a constitution that was written like a century before the light bulb could give us a clear answer whether there is a constitutional right to get gender-affirming care that's crazy the truth is we don't know the supreme court justices should say that and then it should say well let's look at the consequences
0: Erin Tang, author and professor of law, returns to hear me out in
2: just a moment. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
0: Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. I'm going to read you something, and I want you to guess when it was written. Here we go. While America was the first nation to adopt a constitution and the first people definitely to sanction the philosophy which underlies it, still no other nation in any section of the globe has followed the model which we offered. No country has assumed that its constitution was sacrosanct. Only in America is it assumed that confusion is more desirable than simplicity. A blistering indictment of the way we govern, written by a man named Frederick Howe in, wait for it, 1914. Frederick Howe was the Commissioner of Immigration at the Port of New York when he wrote that, and he went on to denounce the bloated, slow-moving nature of the federal government. So I can't imagine what he would say now, 110 years later. If there's one thing most Americans agree on, it's that the government is not run very well. But both Democrats and Republicans tend to fall in line behind the Constitution. We are a nation of laws, after all. But what if Frederick Howe was right? And the Constitution just doesn't stand the test of time. Our returning guest is Aaron Tang, an author and professor of law at UC Davis, and he asks that very question. Hi, Aaron.
1: Hi, Celeste. Thanks for having me back.
0: Okay, so tell me, this is a show all about spicy opinions, right? So what is your spicy opinion? Do you think we should dump the Constitution?
1: That's even spicier than I'm willing to go. I don't know that we should (laughs) dump the Constitution and live, you know. I'm not sure that if we had a constitutional convention, if the new Constitution we'd get would be any less bad. Um, I think what I want to dump is this idea that if there's something wrong that's bothering us in the world, something happens, a law that we don't like, restricting our liberties, that the Constitution's going to save us, that there's a right in there or something in there that we can go to the courts and say, save us from this thing the government has done.
0: So you would not be in this uh, Antonin Scalia camp uh, of a strict constitutionalist adhering very strictly to every word, comma, and semicolon in the Constitution. Fair?
1: I think that's fair, but I also would not adhere to the opposite camp. Uh, So... I don't think there's a method of constitutional interpretation out there that's going to give us a clear answer, right? So it's true. I don't adhere to the Scalia camp. So that means if uh, you're a person who doesn't like uh, what the Supreme Court is doing about guns, if uh, uh, um, that, you know, I don't think the answer is to run back to the Supreme Court and say, look, the Constitution means what I think it means. But it also is the case that if you're a person who wants Donald Trump not on the ballot, I don't think the answer is necessarily going to be to go and say, hey, there's this 160 year old uh, clause in the Constitution that nobody's thought about. Uh, Maybe it means he can't be on the ballot. and That's going to save us from all these
0: problems. Okay, so uh, what then would the Supreme Court do? Because our laws are supposedly based on that founding document and the Bill of Rights and the amendments that follow, Right. That is supposed to be what we have a nation. And the the founders very purposely made it very difficult to change the constitution, which means supposedly these are laws and rules that most Americans agree on. And that is how we have sort of draped our legal system on that skeleton. That's totally true. So what I think
1: the Supreme Court would do is tell the truth. In a lot of the big, hard cases, the answer is, we don't know. We don't know what the Constitution means, right? Just take two examples. So the flip side of the same coin, they're happening debates all over America right now. One is, can blue states pass laws banning gender or, uh, 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 gay conversion therapy, right? This very harmful practice, medical practice of trying to change a child who's come out as gay or lesbian. Uh, many blue states protecting children, right, have banned those laws and people who wanna support gay conversion therapy say, no, there's a constitutional right. I have a constitutional right here to, um, to, um, uh, to get gay conversion therapy for my child. On the opposite side, some red states have banned uh, uh, gender-affirming care, wanna punish parents, right? Um, and so parents of, uh, of trans children uh, with gender dysphoria say, no, I have a constitutional right uh, to get ca- this care for my children, right? I'm sympathetic personally to that, right? The idea that a constitution that was written 230 years ago, Celeste, before, like a century before the light bulb, could give us a clear answer whether there is a constitutional right to get gender-affirming care or uh, gay conversion therapy, that's crazy. The truth is, we don't know. The Supreme Court justices should say that, and then it should say, well, we still have to decide this case. Let's look at the consequences. If we get this wrong, which we might do, what what is the less harmful mistake to make?
0: Well, less harmful. I mean, that would that would make the the Supreme Court, especially our current state court, Supreme Court, much more cautious than they have been. But also, more less harmful is is in the eye of the beholder, right? Like if you look back at one of the worst decisions the Supreme Court ever made, the Dred Scott decision. One of the reasons that was made uh, was to prevent war, <laughs> right? So uh, they would possibly think that that decision was the less harmful decision. Good,
1: good, good, right. So I have in mind something a little bit different by less harmful. You're exactly right. If the solution I was offering you is the Supreme Court should just tell us, you know, who which side really is right. You know, is the pro-choice side, do they have a a, a bigger moral stake or does a pro-lifestyle, that would be dangerous because then it would just be values-based reasoning. So I have a different idea for what I mean by less harm. I have in mind the idea the supreme court would say if we get this wrong which mistake would be more easy to fix not which injury would be worse right like uh uh, in the abortion context is it worse to tell pregnant people they can't control their bodies or is it worse to terminate what pro-life people would consider the life of an unborn child right that's an impossible decision a moral decision i have in mind the question um if we get this wrong how can the people fix that mistake for us?
0: Okay, but walk me through how that how that would come into play in, let's say, the Ro- either the original Roe v. Wade decision or the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision. How do you think they would answer that, which is the easier to fix? Because it seems like there's an argument for both sides.
1: It's true, there will be an argument for both sides. Um, and there will be cases. Abortion's probably like one of the hardest ones where maybe that neither side has a really easy way of avoiding its harm. I want to suggest that um, even doing that analysis, talking about the options, a Supreme Court opinion, think about how different it would look. Instead of Dobbs saying, "Hey, pregnant people, you don't women, you don't count. You don't have this right. And think about how harmful and injurious that is. Think about how different the opinion is if the Supreme Court says, we don't know if there's a right to abortion. There's good arguments on both sides. Here's what we think each side could do if we rule against them, this options, solutions, constructive solutions they have. And so I'll put out a couple out there, okay? And you can tell me if you think one is easier than the other. Okay. What, one option is if you're a pro-choice person and there's not a right to abortion anymore, you can move to another state or you can uh, ma- self-manage your care uh, or you can try to persuade the state law legislature to change its mind, which doesn't seem likely in a state like Alabama. Okay, That's, Those are the options on that side. On the other side, if you're pro-life and there's a constitutional right to an abortion, what can you do to protect protect unborn life? Well, one option is uh, you can ensure access to birth control because we know the number one reason people have abortions is because pregnancies are unplanned. There's a lot of evidence that um, if you provide access to, bro- universal access to contraception, you would cut the uh, rate of abortion by way more than you, you've cut, than states have cut it with bans on, uh, uh, criminal bans on abortion. You would, provide child- you would provide support for families, low-income families, so that if they have a child, it actually is livable, right? Uh, Childcare, basic income, uh, uh, then there'd be fewer abortions. People would carry children to term, right? Those are the options you'd have on the other side. Which one's easier? I'm not actually sure. I have motivated reasoning. I think it's the last set of options, but that's because I'm pro-choice. I'm willing to admit that it's probably motivated by my my priors. But think about either of those opinions and how it sends a different kind of message to the American people than, hey, pregnant people, you don't count.
0: So, you know, the, the biggest um, flaw I see here is that Supposedly, uh, constitutional lawyers and experts that know much more than I do about this document say that one of the benefits of having it and having it as the basis for our law is that it cuts down, doesn't eliminate, but it cuts down on um, a feeling of unfairness. That even if the Supreme Court decides in a way, And of course, we keep going back to the Supreme Court because they are the ultimate arbiter of what the Constitution means in this nation, uh, as laid out in the Constitution. (laughs) So um, supposedly, experts have said that even if the Supreme Court decides against your side, the, the complaint is, well, I don't think that's what the Constitution means, as opposed to you're wrong, you're a jerk yeah, you have been paid under the table or given lots of free trips to fabulous locations on private jets. What's your response to that idea?
1: Yeah, just to hear you describe it makes me think it's not really working. I think there are a lot of disaffected <laughs> Americans. If that's the gold, whoever these scholars are, you know, maybe they, maybe they were describing a, an idyllic America in the 1900s and we all got along. I, I don't think the Constitution that people are like, oh, Dobbs, No right to abortion. They were just doing their best. Maybe I was wrong, right? I don't think anybody is saying that. Um, And, you know, if Donald Trump loses some cases in the Supreme Court, I don't think his supporters are going to say, oh, well, I was wrong. The Supreme Court is right. Um, uh, So I I don't think the Constitution is serving that sort of function that you're describing.
0: I mean, that's fair. I want to read to you, though, um, a Passage from a, an article that was written just a few years after Frederick Howe wrote his blistering condemnation of the, of the Constitution in 1914. In 1917, a man named David Jane Hill wrote a piece in the North American Review, and he said this. It is not realized by the average man that all he holds holds most dear is wrapped up in the doctrines of the Constitution, and that if it were swept away, the palladium of his liberties would be destroyed. Trial by jury, religious liberty, the right of free speech and free assembly, all the personal immunities of free men are a part of its guarantees. It has never been demonstrated that any defensible forward step towards social justice is prohibited by it, and most of the proposals for changing it turn out, upon close examination, to be the furnishing of means to destroy some form. Of personal liberty. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that sounds like the view I don't I don't agree with. Right. That sounds like the view. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the view that, hey, the Constitution is what's saving all of us. Uh, right.
0: Yes. This is a really common view.
1: Right. So that's, I think, dangerous. It's dangerous uh, partly because think about the message that is sent to the American people when the solution to our problems is to go ask nine, 70-year-old lawyers to read a 230 year old document and tell us what the answer really is about affirmative action, abortion, guns, and so on, rather than, hey, we can decide this for ourselves. We can build social movements. We can vote people we disagree with out of office, right? Uh, Ordinary politics, ordinary lawmaking. uh, Why wouldn't that be a better solution uh, uh, than unlocking some secret mysterious code in our constitution?
0: Okay, I still have a lot of questions to ask and, we're going to get to them, but we have to take a break. Um, we will be back in just a moment. The question here is, Is should the Constitution be the final arbiter of what's legal and right in the United States of America? Aaron Tang says no, and I say uh, maybe. <laughs> we'll be back to talk about this on Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. Stay with us. And we're back. I'm Celeste Headley. This is Hear Me Out. And today, what we're hearing is an opinion from um, Aaron Tang, who teaches constitutional law at UC Davis. And he says, the Constitution won't save us. Um, You know, a lot of people say... That America's most important export is the U.S. Constitution. Um, I've, I've in preparing for this conversation, I read I can't tell you how many versions of the fact that the Constitution is all that stands between us and tyranny, all that stands between us and autocratic rule. So let me put that into a less sort of apocalyptic language, Erin, because I think there is something to be said, especially in light of of what we've seen recently, um, that. Uh, right now, I, I, I would say that our democracy is in danger, um, that we are in a period of absolute crisis and we could lose it. Right. I mean, Benjamin Franklin family said "It we, it's a republic if we can keep it. The question is, can we? And if we change our laws so that it becomes an interpretation by the judge themselves, whether it be a district court or the Supreme Court or wherever, deciding what does the most harm. We've already seen what very partisan and biased judges will do, even if they have to justify themselves based on the Constitution. I would be concerned about what might happen with those very same, very biased judges, without having to at least justify the decisions they make.
1: I think that's fair. I don't think there's any, if you're going to stipulate that some big questions in our society are going to be answered by judges, they're going to tell us what the law means or who's going to win this case and who's going to lose, that problem is going to happen because judges are people, people are motivated by partisan and other influences. So that's always going to be true. You're right. And so I think when we are designing a system and we're thinking about how should judges make these really contested decisions, we have to assume the worst case scenario, that they have these biases. And so one option is you've got biased judges, you let them pick whatever method they want. History and tradition, if they're conservative, a world, a time when, oh, it just happens that all the rights that they like existed, but none of the ones that the progressives like existed, right? That's one option. The other option is we tell, we hope our judges, we we tell our judges, the American people, because we ourselves stop putting so much faith that the Constitution has clear answers. We are open to the idea is that the, the idea that the Constitution might not answer these problems, that the Supreme Court could say the same thing. And yes, when it's the court, when the judges are deciding what is the less harmful uh, answer, which side has more options for avoiding the harms if it loses, they're going to be biased, right? But at a minimum, they're going to have to say, "We're ruling against you." progressives, for example, on the Trump disqualification issue, because here's why. You can still vote Donald Trump out of office, right? The, the American people have the final say here. If we take Donald Trump off the ballot, for example, in a, in a case that the court may decide at some point soon here, uh, 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 if we take Donald Trump off the ballot, um, what options do 80 million Trump supporters have if they can't vote for him, right? That's much harder for them to uh, to to remedy the harm that they're suffering and they may take to the streets. There might be violence. I think that's something that would be legitimate. There already
0: was violence, though. <laughs> yeah, there, that, but
1: there, yes, that's true, right? And there could be worse. Um, listen, you know, I want Donald Trump to lose the election as much as any person out there. Um, I'm not sure that having uh, five justices take him off the ballot in what looks like a technicality from a 160-year-old constitutional provision is the best way to do it.
0: Okay, so maybe... I mean, I have to be honest, I am up in the air on the the question of the constitution. I am a a black Jewish female and the constitution was not written to protect my rights or give me any rights. So I already have a fair amount of skepticism over this document that let's be honest, was written by like one person. (laughs) And so that in and of itself was problematic, especially considering who that person was and what that person was trying to protect. On the other hand, It's hard for me. I I have a tough time um, really getting on board with many of the options that would replace it. So let me take you in the other direction (laughs) with a little bit of pushback, because I interviewed um, Ellie Mastal, who wrote, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. You're already nodding your head, so either you've read it or you know about it. And he basically says the Constitution is just trash and we should dump it. Um, I want to... quote something he says here he says there are a lot of things you wouldn't think we should do if you were starting again from first principles like the idea that we don't elect our own president that's pretty dumb Uh, The way that voting rights have been couched as we will not abridge the right to vote as opposed to you have a positive right to vote. That's dumb. The federal system has 50 different election systems instead of one federal system. That makes us have literally 3,000 police systems. That's 3,000 sheriff's offices around the country instead of one national police system. That's pretty stupid. If you go structurally through the document, you see it's not exactly bad idea genes, but there's quite a lot of bad ideas throughout the document. So this this he's talking exactly to this point about whether Donald Trump, whether the Supreme Court or any federal body should t- be able to take someone off the ballot. Why shouldn't they? I mean, if if the point was to protect our republic from someone who was a traitor to the nation, and there's no way to do that, then we're the nation is unprotected, is it not? Maybe the Constitution is just trash.
1: <laughs> so um. <laughs> At, uh, Ellie, uh, his book, everything he writes, very persuasive, very compelling. Yes. I'm not going to defend the constitution, but I am <laughs> going to defend the real, the fact that we are in the real world. Right. And the, the reality is we are not going to have a new constitutional convention. The, America is not th- there yet. Um, and even if we were, the notion that you would get three-quarters of the states again suddenly to agree on a new constitution when they want to go an opposite – half of America would like the constitution go one way, half would like the other, right? Yeah. So we're not going to change the constitution anytime soon. I do think that what we can change is how we think as ordinary, everyday Americans about the answer to the following question. Gosh, I think – there's a problem. I think the Supreme Court's the problem. I think there's a constitution that's a problem. We don't like it for the reasons Ellie, uh describes. What's the solution? Door number one is the solution is to go back to the very court and constitution that led us to this moment that we don't like to reinforce their primacy, right? Option two is to say, actually, maybe the solution is in our hands in ways that have nothing to do with the constitution of the courts at all. Can I give you an example? It'll take a minute. But of yes, how go ahead. Actually, everyday Americans have already done this. Five and a half years ago, Celeste, the Supreme Court issued a decision in a case called Janus that threatened to decimate public sector unions. Experts predicted, I won't go into the details, basically, that the the decision would mean 50%, 70% of teachers, hospital workers, firefighters would just quit their union. Basically, they could get all the benefits of being in a union without paying for it. It's been five and a half years. Guess what percent? Well, I won't make a guess. Two percent. And the reason is not because they went back to the constitution and said, look, we found a new clause in the constitution that solves this for us. Or look, Supreme Court, change your mind. They went back to organizing basics. Millions of teachers, hospital workers, they t- knocked on doors of their coworkers, they sat around the water cooler, they talked, they convinced each other to stick with the union, to pay union dues because it was the right thing to do for protections, for wait for the wage premium. They got around the Supreme Court's Janus decision through everyday organizing. The solution doesn't have to be the court, doesn't have to be the Constitution. It can be us.
0: So would you still have, um, would you still be making this argument if we were living in the times of, say, the Warren Court? If we were living under a court... um, in which they expanded civil rights and civil liberties and they found that all to be justified under the constitution. They expanded judicial power also and federal power. Would you still complain?
1: I think I would say the same thing. And in some ways I think it would be easier because I would be talking to the other side and telling the other side, these are all the things you can do if you don't like the war court decisions, right? If you don't like the idea of integrated public schools, right? You can send your kids to private school. You can uh, uh, move to the suburbs, right? Actually, that's obviously actually what happened. If you don't like the idea of more rights for criminal defendants, right? You could uh, um, try to change the carceral state. Maybe we don't need so much criminal law or uh, you could try to amend the constitution, right? I would be talking to the other side about all the options they have for pursuing uh, the option, uh, the, you know, the, uh, uh, the interests that they care so deeply about like an abortion. You really want there to be fewer uh, uh, abortions, right? Do the things we talked about in the earlier segment, right? Expand access to contraception and and child support, fa- family services, family support.
0: All right, we have to take another break and there is still more to talk about when it comes to the constitution. We will return in order to continue talking about it. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. I'm Celeste Headley and we will be right back. We're back. I'm here with Aaron Tang, who teaches constitutional law at UC Davis, and would rather start teaching the law of harm.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> harm avoidance, the law of how to avoid our harms. Yes.
0: All right, but so here's a little bit more pushback for you because I when I learned and and I'm not a lawyer, but when I took law classes on the American judicial system in college, I was taught that the, the idea of harm is already the basis of our legal system. That in order to get any kind of damages or to send someone into to prison or jail, you have to be able to prove tangible harm. And then they decide the, you know, the extent of that harm. So isn't that already, ex- let's leave the Supreme Court out of it. For every other court in the nation, isn't that already what we're doing?
1: It's true, yes. To have a case heard in the state or federal courts, you have to suffer some kind of injury, some kind of harm. What we often forget about, uh, here's here's what I wanna push back against. The current mode of thinking, I think, is that once somebody gets in the door, the courts will fix that harm. The courts, maybe looking to the Constitution, will fix the injury and everything will be right again. When I think in reality, when courts make decisions, they create new harms. Because A, whoever loses is going to have to do something they don't want to do. And B, this is a special kind of harm. Courts get things wrong all the time. And when they get things wrong, those harms are especially bad. The Supreme Court right now very rarely thinks about the fact that it might get a decision wrong. It might... Uh, inflict all of this harm in the name of the Constitution on people, right? There's some really tragic examples of stories in the 19th century. Like if you think about the Fugitive Slave Act, the Supreme Court decided a case called Prigg versus Pennsylvania that basically said, Pennsylvania, you can't protect free black people. If a slave catcher comes in and, and kidnaps a free black man and takes him to the South, sells him to the slavery, you're out of luck. Sorry, Pennsylvania. That was a Supreme Court decision. And think about the harm it inflicted because it got the Constitution wrong. I'm suggesting Because we can get the Constitution wrong, because the Constitution is so unclear, the court really ought to think about those harms that it might inflict.
0: So um, I'm going to quote someone else again in my pushback here, and it's Jamel Bowie writing for The New York Times in a piece that was called The Constitution Was Made for Us, Not the Other Way Around. And he says, "Uh, there are, we cannot forget Americans who do not believe in political equality and the democratic ideal, Americans with a narrow and circumscribed division of freedom and liberty, a debate over reform can, in the course of the argument, drag those views out of the shadows and into the open. And this is kind of returning me to that, that thought that uh, the Constitution may be flawed. Uh, it may have been written by 30-something slave owners. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, it has protected us so far from autocratic rule i think i don't know um, yeah yeah and i we can't really know right? how do you prove a negative but that's the question is that wh- if we if the constitution is not underpinning what our laws do and at this point like you just said we're kind of only talking about the supreme court i, I fear for falling off that cliff
1: <laughs> i i'm afraid so, to i hear you i hear you yeah and part of what's so hard about giving up on the Constitution and giving up on the courts is that we were taught, right, Celeste, from a very early age in middle school, high school civics, we were taught about Brown versus Board of Education. And that is, it's true. The Supreme Court there and our Constitution made a huge advance for society in desegregating public schools. Right? We learned, we, we experienced Obergefell versus Hodges where the Supreme Court made a huge advance for America, for the American people in standing up for marriage equality. Right. So I can't deny that there are times when the Constitution and the Supreme Court have done some really good things.
0: I mean, I don't deny also that they've done absolutely horrible things. And I don't have I don't have a tally in my head, but I would guess it's at least equal, if not more on the side of terrible. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, Just in the past couple yeah. of years. <laughs> but even before that, right? I mean, like horrible, horrible decisions. But continue.
1: Exactly, right? And so, you know, one way of, of thinking about this is like on balance. Would we rather give up some really good case decisions like Obergefell, for example, in order to have to keep things like the Voting Rights Act that the Supreme Court gutted in Shelby County versus Holder? Um,
0: I just want to keep our listeners with us over Obergefell uh, versus Hodges is when the the court found that the 14th Amendment requires states to license and recognize same-sex marriages. I think I've, I've said nailed that. It. that nailed it, you nailed it. Are
1: you sure you didn't go to law I'm, school? You sure? Uh,
0: no, but I have to cover a lot of <laughs> legal news, so
1: continue. So right, so it's like, it's in a way it's like, are we willing, would we be willing to trade off that Supreme Court decision for other decisions uh, uh, that really were harmful? And maybe the answer is yes, because maybe if the Supreme Court hadn't announced a constitutional right to marriage equality in Obergefell, the way society was moving, we'll never know, but the way public opinion was already moving, states were already enshrining marriage equality through the political process. Now, that's worse, right? I, I would rather there just be a right from day one, but it might be that that off is worth it so we, have, so we don't have the harmful court decisions, too.
0: Okay, so we only have a few minutes left, so let me put one of my biggest fears here out on the line, um, which is that when you decentralize power, um, it almost always goes badly for women and people of color. Uh, I, I, You know, we're not even just talking about that old claim that the Civil War is about states' rights, but let's be honest, every time people talk about states' rights, it's almost always um, within the context of limiting other people's rights, rather than adding to them. Um, I think that if, you, if we were to suddenly shift The power of defining rights and liberties, civil liberties in the United States to states. I think that you would see all this energy that has been put towards taking over the Supreme Court, and that is documented <laughs> how much that has been, I think that would simply move into the states, that we would then simply have these incredibly conservative, wealthy people focusing all their attention on manipulating state legislatures and state courts in a way that you know it wouldn't matter. We'd have many of the same outcomes.
1: So, uh, very persuasive. I think it's true um, that there will be action in the states that uh, where red states can do things that hurt people of color, women, trans folks. Um, but there will also be actions in, in the states that help protect people of color, uh, women, that the Supreme Court is currently striking down. Like here, the easiest example is gun safety, right? The Supreme Court has struck down California, New York laws uh, uh, protecting people from this mass gun epidemic. And if we decentralize power, right? So it's a a little bit of a a balance. It's hard to say, right? Do we want states to be able to do more? But the last thing I'll say is this. You don't just, if you get rid of the court as sort of the final arbiter of these big issues, if you return matter to the people acting through their elected uh, representatives, there's also Congress. And now it's probably the least woke thing I could possibly say to say that Congress is (laughs) is like the source of some hope, because it's it's broken, right?
0: But it might be less
1: broken might be a little less broken than the Supreme Court. This is a Congress that in, you know, recent years has done things like, well, just recently expanded the child tax credit, uh, even did some federal gun reform in response to Uvalde, right? To say nothing of the Voting Rights Act and longer, older um, uh, federal statutes. um, Empowering that kind of Congress to create national solutions to protect minorities, to protect women, right? Uh, To override the red state laws that are hurting them. That might not be such a bad thing.
0: I can almost guarantee that either Aaron or I made a statement over the course of this conversation that you have strong feelings about. (laughs) So send us your thoughts. I mean, as always, we want to hear from you, but I really mean what I said. I think this kind of conversation is one that we should be having with our friends, with our family, with people in the line at the grocery store. I'm not kidding. I don't think it has to lead to an argument, but I think this is something that is so crucial to all of us that it's a. it should be a broader conversation. And you can start that by sending us your thoughts in an email. It's slate.com. Lots of you are using that email address, and we want you to keep those thoughts coming. Last week, we had Lara Bazelon argue it's time to reassess the way we handle sexual assault on college campuses. In response, we got this great letter from a listener named Alex. Alex wrote, I was surprised to hear this episode's guest seem to dissuade victims from seeking criminal prosecution of rapists. Why should a person who's been raped not want to see their attacker prosecuted? As an attorney, I may be biased toward utilizing the justice system, but I found the program's dissuasion of this extremely paternalistic, going so far as to ask victims to sign a pledge not to press criminal charges, is ludicrous and manipulative. Moreover, this program reeks of an attempt by universities to keep these investigations internal. Society needs to know the extent of the crisis on university campuses and any attempt To obfuscate that should not be allowed. Society also deserves to know the identity of these rapists. So first of all, I really, really appreciate that response, Alex. I can tell you that there are often a number of reasons why uh, victims of sexual assault and rape don't want to pursue criminal proceedings even when it doesn't happen on a college campus. But it's it's an important discussion and it's something that literally our society does not deal well with. So, any improvements, I think, would be welcome. Whatever your opinion, whether you think that our guest got it right or got it wrong, we do want to hear from you. Again, it's out at slate.com. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations, and Alicia Montgomery is the VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Until next time, speak your mind but keep it open.
1: plus